0: Hi, this is J.P. Mack, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, uh, so it's official. The Russians are back on top as Christendom's authoritarian villains after briefly being unseated by the upstart Canadians. It feels like some weird cosmic balance has been restored. So I apologize for the flippant remark, but um, it does go to show that we're in an age where it seems like uh, everywhere you look, uh, freedom is in danger. Uh, Freedom somewhere is always being uh, in danger of being taken away. Uh, last week it, it was in Canada with the actions of the prime minister Trudeau and this week um comes a little bit more um stark in a more stark um way with a war uh in Ukraine where uh Russia has invaded Ukraine is attempting to take over that country and so of course that um will be the topic, the main topic of our podcast today. Um again kind of in keeping with the purpose of Liberty Relearned. I don't want to just comment on a moment by moment um you know account of what's going on or what my opinion is of individual actions necessarily. But keep it um on the level of teaching how this relates to uh conservatism and libertarianism, and so looking at this, you know I see a couple of conservative principles being broken here um, with regards to Ukraine. Um, but first, let's summarize what's going on um because people. Uh, listening maybe months or years from now may not know or maybe you know you've just crawled out from under rock and don't know what's going on in europe today um but here is the lowdown pretty much oversimplified uh the five or ten minute version of what probably should take about two hours to explain but uh i'll give it a try um the Russians have been threatening now, uh, particularly with Putin as their leader, um, threatening Ukraine, uh, basically over two um, regions, territories in the east of Ukraine. Um, it's, there's, and he's doing that for two reasons, or at least conventional wisdom says he's doing this for two reasons. Uh number 1 um Ukraine the entire state used to be part of the former Soviet Union. And so that's one. I mean the the idea that um Putin wants to get the band back together again, you know, kind of reunite the old uh all of the old Soviet republics. Um but it's a little bit more than that. Putin believes that he needs a buffer zone between Russia and the West or Russia and the NATO countries. And so what, that's what he was uh, trying to establish here. That's what the the Soviet Union had when they had the Warsaw Pact countries. i um, talking mainly about Poland, Czechoslovakia uh, at the time. These and uh, uh Austria for a little while until they went neutral and so they he he had all of these countries in Eastern Europe acting as a buffer between the Soviet Union the the old Soviet Union and the West and so that's what Putin wants to do he wants he believes he needs to recreate this buffer zone of countries um, that either are neutral or Uh, aligned with his country in between those who are uh, the more liberal democratic countries, uh, capitalist countries of the West. So that's what he's trying to do. That's one of his main purposes. Uh, The other is a little bit more old-fashioned, a little bit more old-fashioned motive called greed. Uh, Russia has basically one major natural resource um, has has a few um kind of over unders you know oversimplifying it to say it has one but for the purposes of discussion here there's one main one that he's concerned about at least here and that is oil oil and gas production uh right now uh Russia provides a lot of oil and gas that uh, other european countries including those in western europe uh consume and so what he's trying to do with ukraine basically is just to uh, give himself an area which he which his country Russia would totally have total control over in eastern ukraine and that's you know he would like to build pipelines there and control the flow of oil to the Western, more Western Europe um, and other parts of the world through Ukraine. And so that's really the strategic reason, or one of the chief strategic reasons is, uh, you know, people have called Russia just a gas station with an army. And so if you look at it like that, that's kind of what, He's doing now, he's trying to control as much uh, of the gas production, gas and oil production, and transportation to the West as possible. And so this kind of violates um, some conservative principles. Uh, It violates, or, or let me backtrack here. Um. our react west reaction to this particularly i'm talking about president biden's here uh violates uh a conservative principle of free trade in other words there's a free trade balance that can be struck that had been struck um only a few years ago under president trump where we had Uh, Energy independence, we didn't rely on any other for oil and gas. Now that has changed under President Biden, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And then there's the uh, strategic principle uh, violated of giving up an advantage of your adversaries. And so these two are tied together, I would say. As I mentioned, we had uh, pretty much achieved Energy independence as a country in the United States under Trump. And soon after uh, Joe Biden was elected, that was reversed. And now we are um, once again um, dependent uh, on foreign gas and oil. And so that is a problem with anything that changes that balance of power In someone else's favor, particularly when it changes the balance of power in Vladimir Putin's favor, that's a problem. And so I'm going to talk about that now. And so there's a short article here in, uh, coming from Fox News. Uh, it's by, uh... Michael Lee of Fox Business, and it's called uh, Saki pushes renewable energy to stop dependence on foreign oil instead of increasing U.S. production. The comments come as fears that energy prices could continue to rise amid Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And so I guess there's a little bit to unpack right there in the headline. And so let me kind of go through the headline again. Psaki, um, that's Jen Psaki, the the, uh, press secretary for the Biden administration, uh, pushes renewable energy to stop dependence on foreign oil. Okay, so that, you know, even saying that that's a correct statement and that she's right in saying that, well, it's too late for ukraine for that to be a viable strategy to, um for ukraine and other parts of europe because right now they are currently uh dependent upon oil for a lot of their energy needs and and the reason for that kind of is simple is that you know even though all over europe you have windmills and you have um, you know, you have solar panels, and that's like the big thing in Europe today and you know, all across the West, really. The problem is that, that you can never, at least with the current technology, you can never make enough uh, wind power and solar power to have reliable energy uh, 24-7. Whoops! Uh, so there you go—a uh, little live proof that I'm actually on the Fox Business site. Um, he yeah, had that little unintended uh, soundbite talking about the Ukraine, and things. I could go over, you know, minute by minute, or you know, over with what the what's going on with the Ukraine and Russia right now. But again, I don't want to do that because you kind of miss the big picture if if you get too. Much in weeds. Not to say that's not important. It's definitely interesting and it's definitely important. But I think um, if you want to take the bigger picture, then um, yeah, it's going to help you understand when you read all of these different uh, stories in the news. Um, It gives you a better understanding, I hope. Uh, At least that's my intent in doing it this way, is... Um, tell you what's going on. So anyhow, sorry for that. But anyhow, uh, moving on. Um, so yeah, so she is saying that the um, stance of the administration is to push renewable energy. Of course, uh, it's too late, you know, for rene- even if you could do that, but you can't with today's technology. It's too late to affect what's going on in Ukraine. So, it kind of gets us off on the wrong direction anyhow. Um, but she's kind of correct in that in the second part where she says, um, you know, it's to stop dependence on foreign oil instead of increasing U.S. production. Well, all right, let, let me break that down. Um Part that I agree with is that we need to stop dependence on foreign oil. Now, in the case of um, Ukraine, in particular, but uh, you know most of Europe, um, you don't need to. They don't need to be um, to stop their dependence on foreign oil. I mean, that'd be great for them if they could, but realistically, that's probably years, if not decades, away, if that's even possible. But they can. Uh, reduce and even eliminate a lot of their dependence upon Russian oil. And I think that's uh, the key here. And I think that's the key that um, the Biden administration um, loses. And the other part of it is instead of increasing U.S. production. And so here we are in the middle of in, you know a lot of inflation. A lot of that is driven by The cost of energy and a lot of that inflation of the cost of energy is because uh, fossil fuels are made more scarce by our own reduction in how much we produce here in the United States. And so right here, um, you you can kind of sense where I'm going to go with this article And so I'm just going to read it now and so kind of uh, allow you to kind of uh, pick up what I think the uh, writer is laying down here. Um, So it starts off, uh, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said that the U.S. needs to decrease its reliance on foreign oil, by switching over to renewable energy, not increasing domestic production. We need to reduce our dependence on foreign oil, on oil in general, and we need to look at other ways of having energy in our country and others, Psaki said during an interview with ABC this week Sunday. We've seen over the last week or so, a number of European countries are recognize that they need to reduce their own reliance on Russian oil. Saki comments come as fears grow that energy prices could continue to rise amid Russia's ongoing war in Ukraine with many nations Germany dependent on Russian oil to fuel their countries. That dependence is also limited the international response to Russia's invasion with sanctions being specifically designed not to target Russian fuel exports amid fears such a move could send energy prices soaring in Europe. The comments also come after Biden administration last week began delaying decisions on new oil and gas leases after a federal judge blocked the administration from using higher climate change cost estimates when regulating polluting industries. The ruling stems from President Biden's decision on his first day in office to restore the climate cost estimate to $51 per ton of carbon dioxide emissions, up from $7. It was slashed to during the Trump administration. Biden has come under increasing pressure to walk back resistance to domestic oil production in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, with Representative August Pflugers, Republican Texas, arguing that such a move would help the U.S. regain our dominance on the world stage. And he he says, The Permian Basin is the most prolific production area in the entire world, Fluger said last week. We must unleash and innovate to make sure that production continues to be strong, that we regain our dominance on the world stage and oil and gas we supply, not only for our domestic needs, also our partners and allies so that they're not dependent on maligned actors like Russia and China. Since 2021, Russia is the United States' top source of imported gasoline and other refined petroleum products. For Forbes recently reported, lithium, one of the main ingredients in rechargeable batteries used in cars, phones, and other products, Chiefly originates in China, and so there, so there you go. That puts forth the economic argument against the, the uh, Biden policy of restricting our natural gas and oil production and exploration. Um, and so, when you hear Biden say. Uh, He's going to do everything in his power uh, to thwart, um, to help the Ukrainians and uh, hurt the Russians or hurt Putin. No, that's not exactly true. As long as he keeps our production lower, artificially lower than it should be or than it could be, then he will be hurting Ukraine and helping Putin. And the reason for that is, as I mentioned before, that Putin derives a lot of his income, uh, both, both personally and uh, for his country, with uh, oil imports and exports. I'm sorry, exports. And so he... Basically what happened was, again, kind of over, oversimplifying, but basically what happened is when Biden... Uh, made those rules, Um, basically he reversed uh, Trump's policy on energy that made us energy independent, uh, made us once again energy dependent, and and one of the sources just happens to be uh, Putin's Russia. So, and that's not just for us, that's for the rest of the world too, because we were selling uh, oil and gas to uh, other countries in Europe, so that they didn't have to buy uh Russian oil and so basically what happens there is you have uh we decreased output so and of course the uh the Russians never decreased their output and uh so that drove up the uh, price of oil because that, you know, limited the entire oil, world's oil supply, and made it more of a uh, scarce resource. And so that raised the price of oil. And so Putin used that money, a lot of that money that um, he saw with the oil revenues, he put that in to basically into his military, into forming his invasion army that's now um, attacking Ukraine. And so the Biden administration is basically hamstringing itself um, from doing probably the best and should be the easiest decision in the entire world. Uh, if your goal is to uh, hurt Putin and help the people of Ukraine and possibly other countries in Eastern Europe too, um, it should be an absolute no-brainer that what you do is you uh, take off, you unshackle uh, our energy uh, sectors, um, restrictions from uh, oil exploration and production, and you bring them back up to levels. Uh, It's... And what that would do is that would lower the price of oil. So now um, Putin can't use those uh, extra profits, his inflated oil profits, to uh, finance his uh, military ventures uh, outside his country's boundaries. And simultaneously, that would help our economy because, of course, you know when you lower the price of energy then that lowers the prices of goods in general, uh, helps alleviate a lot of, or at least some of the inflation that we're seeing now, the part that's tied to increased oil prices. And of course, now you have that even more ex- exacerbated with the, the war in uh, Ukraine. And so now that could serve, probably will serve to drive, oil prices and energy prices even higher. So that'll make things even worse because the war itself will disrupt um, some of the uh, distribution of oil. And, of course, that other thing it it does is it puts more money in our pockets. And so you have uh, Putin making less money Um, through the sale of oil we're making more money um, and the price of energy goes down and that helps us become reduce our dependence upon them because here we are we are basically financing and so is uh, Germany and other a lot of other countries we are financing Putin's attack on Ukraine, that's basically the crux of it, right there. And so, if you eliminate that, or diminish that to the greatest extent possible, that will um, hurt Vladimir Putin and help Ukraine and the other European countries. And it's it would be such it's such a no brainer. And this is the kind of limiting thinking that the Democrats had. Um, if you remember back, uh, when, when Obama said of Trump, you know, um, I forget how how exactly he said it, but, you know, he says, you know, I have no magic wand to wave and make the economy better. And the reason that he said that Obama did was because he was limiting himself artificially to his choices, his options of what to do. um. Because you know, in his world, uh, you couldn't uh, increase uh, fossil fuel production. okay, That wasn't a viable uh, alternative um, for President Obama at the time. So that's why you know, he had this limited imagination and where Trump can come along and say, you know, you know, we're going to take the restrictions off, and we're going to deregulate, and we're, and that's going to be our magic wand, and so that was the problem there. Uh, and and we're seeing that again, and basically, Jen Psaki is basically verbalizing this, where she's cutting off, basically the best option, um, kind of a no-brainer, in my opinion option to do that simultaneously hurts vladimir putin personally and also hurts his ability to wage war finances his war and also helps the american people it helps alleviate inflation um, makes it easier you know provides jobs that you know if you're spending less money on fuel you have more money theoretically to spend on your payroll And so, if you're a business, you have to make these decisions. And, you know, if everything else costs more, that's less you have in your coffers for things like payroll to pay your employees. And so, that would help Americans. And so, it seems like a no-brainer, again, that uh, increasing oil production um, would be a good idea. I mean, uh, you know, very seldom do you have... Uh, fairly easy uh, approach that you can implement that simultaneously helps you and hurts your opponents. But that's exactly what we have now, and that's exactly what the Biden administration won't do, according to Jen Psaki. And so her belief is, or at least the administration's belief, is that um, renewable energy is the only way to um stop dependence on foreign oil. We know it's not true. Uh another way to reduce the uh dependence on uh, foreign oil is to increase domestic oil. Um but I mean I it's so easy that I think even a fifth grader could understand that proposition. But again the um Democrat or leftist worldview cuts them off from such obvious uh, solutions. And that, again, gets at the heart of their problem. Again, even to the extent where she's correct, and yeah, if we had enough, uh, if we had more renewable energy, more wind, more solar, then we could reduce our... Um, our dependence upon foreign oil and so could other countries Um, but what they neglect to say is no, no, nowhere in here are they talking about nuclear now nuclear of course would provide a lot of um, uh, oil or, or energy production if your electricity coming from gas or oil, and it's coming from nuclear, well, that same gas and oil now can go into your tank or your your gas or oil heater. And so, you know, that, you know, every bit of uh, energy that can be produced by some means other than fossil fuels helps because that f- frees up that those fossil fuels to be used in other ways. And so, again, it's it's a win-win scenario uh, for the consumer and for the oil and gas producers of this country. And the big loser would be those uh, whose chief export is oil, um, namely Russia. And so, that's the situation there. Uh, that's the... Uh, those are the principles of conservatism and free markets that are being violated, that if you just made a correction for them, that will go a long way to doing it. So, you know, there's no way that, uh, just to wrap up this particular thought, there's, there's no way that uh, Biden is telling you the truth when he says he's doing everything in his power to, uh, help the Ukrainians and thwart the 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 Russian military effort because he's not as long as he's uh, you using these foolish um, self-imposed restrictions on our energy production. You know he's not doing everything he can, and so you know that would put a lie to that in a hit in in um you know in the rest of the world's mind. So, that is how that is going. And so there is another uh, principle that's being violated here. That is the uh, conservative principle that, uh, that the role of government is to protect the weak from the strong. Okay, in this case, the role, you know, to protect the weaker Ukrainians from the stronger Russians. And so this, uh, if I'm to wax philosophical for a bit here, um, you can think of it this way. People talk about democracy. As a matter of fact, um, you know, that's a huge um, buzzword for Democrats. Uh, Today is democracy, 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 as I've spoken about before. But here, um, let me talk about another kind of democracy. It's kind of like an older form of of democracy. And yes, this does take a little bit of a leap of logic, so forgive me for that. But here it goes. Uh, In a way, war is a very particular and peculiar form of democracy where soldiers, arms, and national will are votes. So, in other words, it's almost like um, decisions are being made not based upon how many people vote, but how many uh, missiles and bullets and rockets can be sent downrange. And the person who can send the most uh, arms downrange successfully... Uh, wins that election of uh, whatever it is that they want. and so kind of in a weird way, uh, military action is is a form of democracy. If you look at it that way, you know democracy is the strength of people, individuals combining into groups to have political power. And their political power is expressed in, in votes. And so, um, so as Robert Heinlein would suggest in Star, Starship Troopers, is that democracy is an act of violence. Voting is an act of violence, and therefore, only citizens should be able to vote. And so along that lines of thinking, um, then you can kind of reverse engineer and say, well, actually, violence is violence, and uh, violence is democracy. If you can wage more violence at your opponents, then you can get your way. Um, and so that that's how that works. I know that's a little bit of a warped uh, philosophical thing for you to think about, but. You know, if you're not going, if the battle is not a democratic one, in other words, it's not uh, the Russian party voting against the Ukrainian party with votes. Uh, It kind of is the Russian party voting against the Ukrainian party with armaments. And so what you would want to do is to have... As many votes or, you know, armaments on your side as possible, and so that's another way we kind of failed. You know, particularly if you're rooting for the Ukrainians in this situation, is uh, we failed to uh, arm them sufficiently. Now we did have arm, we did arm them. Um, we started giving them lethal aid against the Russians and the Russian separatists uh back in the Trump era and that's something that at, le- at least has um continued in the Biden era um but possibly you know if you, if we knew this was coming then maybe we should have give give them more aid and also started uh, asking around, passing the hat around to our NATO allies a little bit sooner to have them cough up a little bit more of of useful aid for the Ukrainians, specifically if they're falling on basically the side of the Ukrainians. You know, why wouldn't you do more of that and do it more often and, and do it sooner? And so that's where arguably uh, we in the West have failed uh Ukraine and that knowing that they had a deficiency in uh their armament they you know we did not do as as much as we could have done um to help them make up for that deficiency when it comes because we knew there was only one country that the Ukraine was going to have to fight and it was going to be Russia and everybody knew that or uh, we knew it Russia knew it Ukraine knew it and so You know, it didn't matter if Ukraine had more arms than, say, Luxembourg or uh, Zimbabwe. Um, What they needed to do is have at least parity with the Russian state. And so we probably, in retrospect, could have and should have done more. Um, At least finally, I guess, the Western nations and NATO nations are waking up and they're trying to do more of that because really you know if if the problem if your problem is war then your real problem problem is having enough armament and the uh, you know if you can't have more arms than your opponent then you better have better arms and so at least we can do is give them better arms than what the russians can throw at them Um, We're kind of doing it now, but maybe too much, too little, too late. We will see. But, I mean, if we were interested, really, in protecting um, Ukraine's sovereignty, you know, I think we could have seen this coming. You know, it's not like the, the Russians didn't invade Crimea shortly after the Winter Olympics eight years ago. Okay, and surprise, surprise, the Winter Olympics come in 2021 or 2022, and we were supposed to be surprised that the Russians launched another attack and took another chunk out of Ukraine after they showed us the exact playbook before. And, of course, before that, they took a chunk out of Georgia. And so, like it or not, um, political but, um, under in the 21st century, uh, Donald Trump remains the only president not to preside over a time where Russia, a, a chunk out of some other country, violates some other. Uh, happened under George W. Bush with Georgia. Again, uh, Putin took a ch- large chunk of Georgia out of the country of Georgia uh back in early 2000s i'm gonna say um and then again 2014 he took crimea and then you know we should be surprised uh eight years later after the olympics he does the same exact thing with ukraine again goes to the well again and so this should have come to as a surprise to absolutely no one. So the question is, what could we have done, and what should we have done to avoid that? Uh, if we're gonna, not, or if we're not gonna put boots on the ground ourselves, which is not what really anybody is recommending, anyhow, but if we're not going to aid them as allies, um, at least you know help them fight next to them. Uh, you know with direct military intervention, then we can you know strengthen our our indirect military intervention through supplying them with arms and ammunition. hopefully we have at least enough sense that we have we're working with them the the Ukrainians with intelligence maybe we have some uh, satellite imagery that we can share with them or uh, you know, we have our AWACS planes up there directing the fight in the air against the uh, Russians. Hopefully, we figured out to do that. Hopefully, that's something we're doing. Of course, we, we wouldn't and shouldn't know uh, if, our, if our government is helping the Ukrainians that way. Um, but, but hopefully, that's something that we're, we can take for granted. That we're doing. And so it all goes back to. um, Democracy. And the way that war. Is kind of a. uh, Stand in for democracy. You know actually democracy. Actually it's the other way around. Democracy is actually a stand in for war. And that's probably why. The Greeks created it. Um, what was it like 3000 years ago or whatever it was? That's why the Greeks developed it, um, as a substitute for, um, having wars. And so, but it's kind of, it works both ways. And so if you're not doing a democratic process, then you're almost always left with a military process. And so you know, kind of something to remember. You know that the whole point of democracy. You know, if we take this to lesson to a greater level beyond what we see in the Ukraine, is that democracy uh, helps prevent wars. It helps settle, um, helps settle decisions and make decisions uh Without people having to die um sometimes that works well, sometimes it doesn't sometimes it'll it it does not work as well as we would like it to, but that's the general idea is that votes replace bullets um but there are times when they don't, and so you have to have enough bullets if if that's the uh mode of Warfare you're choosing is actual warfare. Um, so hope that makes sense to you. And so anyway, um, our best, our prayers and wishes go out to the Ukrainian people. I mean, they've pretty much acquitted themselves well, um, you know, as can be expected. Um... There, President Zelensky seems to be up to the challenge. He seems to be ready basically to take up a uh, a rifle himself uh, if need be and defend his country in person, which you got to respect that. Um, I think that's not, I think Vladimir Putin was not counting on that. I think he was counting on breaking the spirit of the Ukrainian people, uh, or at least uh, President Zelensky. Uh, so far, it doesn't happen, and that's I think that's a credit to President Zelensky and the Ukrainian people that they've, you know, even managed to, to uh, hold up this long. I mean, we're only, as I'm speaking this, we're only like two days into the war, although really, it should have started, you know, uh, the second that Russian troops crossed into Ukrainian territory, into the disputed territories in the east, but anyway, um, it really started. Um, you know, the, we're marking you know this weekend as like the official start of the of the war, even though it actually started long ago, and actually it started back in 2014, never really stopped. Uh, They had some sort of ceasefire arrangement. I think it was in Minsk, you know, the Minsk Accords or something like that, that kind of, sort of, kind of ended the, uh, that portion of the Ukraine-Russian war, put it on hold, and now it's back. And so, again, you know, at least, you know, The least I can say now um, is that the Ukrainian people, as far as being willing to fight for their country, have acquitted themselves well. And I think uh, Vladimir Putin is kind of surprised to see this. And so at least we can say that for the Ukrainians. Um, Obviously, it's such a lopsided affair as far as military, relatively, relative military strength between the Ukrainians and the Russians, that it's, again, it's kind of surprising, honestly, that they've lasted this long. And so, we'll see, Uh, could be that things are very different in Ukraine when I speak to you again, as a matter of fact, there there probably will be, Um, but you know, just thinking about the lopsided nature of this military affair, um, you know, it shouldn't even be close and, and the the idea that the Ukrainians are even making a war of it, um, I guess is a credit to them, although, you know, it's hard to see really. In the bigger picture, you know, you know, being great in, in war is not, you know, as great as being great in peace or as Yoda would say, wars not make one great. But but is you know, seeing that there is conflict in that country, um, then we can support them. Uh, I would suppose if you really want to support the Ukrainian people, um, but the people affected by the war in general, because um, they're going to be going, going to be, uh, refugees. There are already hundreds of thousands of refugees. President Zelensky has forbidden anybody, I think, between the ages of 18 and 60, uh, any male from between the ages of 18, and 60, from leaving the country. And so they're being taken off buses. They're trying to get. They're trying to leave, and sometimes they're on buses trying to leave, usually for Poland. In this case uh they're refugees from the war and you have families and they the fathers of the family are being pulled out um to stick around and fight for their country. Um and it's not really con- uh necessarily a meant to be any kind of criticism or condemnation of those men who are fleeing with their families. I mean they're trying to protect their family. They're, they they want to be with their family to protect them in this dangerous situation. Um, so, you know, I'm going to reserve criticism on them. Um, but anyway, anyway, there are refugees as in any war. Uh, A lot of them are going to Poland. A lot of them are going to, uh, Slovakia. And so they're going to need help. Um, I'm sure the red cross is already on the move. Uh, Um, They're going to have to set up villages and for them and temporary housing and things like that and food. And so, you know, probably the International Red Cross, if you want to help, um, that's probably your best bet right now. I'm sure there'll be other foundations. There's probably Christian Ministries um, popping up that will... Help out. Um, there were a lot of good ones that helped out with the Afghanistan debacle, getting uh, Christians and Americans and other allies of the United States out of the country. When, you know, when Afghanistan fell to the Taliban, uh, a lot of uh, ministries, Christian ministries in particular, went in and uh, helped out. I suspect that that will be the case here in Europe. It's a a shame. You know, you almost expect it, you know, not to be condescending of Afghanistan or the Middle East, but you almost have have to expect it there. You don't expect it in a modern democracy in Europe in 2022. Um, That's just the way things are. But, you know, that's where we are nonetheless. And so, you know uh, if you want to help place would be right now would be the international red cross. And then, uh, if anything pops up, you know, look on, uh, libertyrelearn.com and I'll try and keep, uh, people posted on, you know, anybody wants to help the refugee effort for the Ukrainian people fleeing the, the, uh, war, um, But on the other hand, there are a lot of Ukrainians that are choosing to stay. Uh, I think I read somewhere, like, the government was handed out 18,000 rifles to any, basically, building up their civilian corps. You have a lot of people signing up for the military in the Ukraine. Um, So that, again, is good for them. And so they're arming the uh, Ukrainian civilians, now we'll see that how that works out. That can go eat either way. <laughs> but um, on the other hand, if you look at what what happened in Iraq, yeah, you, know, you had quite a guerrilla resistance in Iraq, both on our side and on side of like the uh, the warlords in Iraq. You know, like what you saw in Fallujah. Yeah, you, know, you had basically um, non-mil, you know, non, you know, irregulars. I guess you'd call them. They're not regular army or regular military in those countries, and so irregular forces or guerrilla forces, um, you know, can really bog down a country's uh, advance in military uh, advance in a country as we found out in uh both afghanistan and iraq um you know sometimes your biggest problem can be a 12 year old with an ak-47 you know that can kill you just as dead as a uh 30 year uh veteran of their army okay and so you have that you have what could be made into uh, like a resistance or a guerrilla force and bogged down and maybe uh, make the conquest of Ukraine too expensive for the uh, Russians. Um, and unfortunately, that's probably their best bet, really, is, and I think what's going to happen, again, it's kind of dangerous, again, their prediction business, but probably what Putin wants he doesn't really want to be bogged down in the entire country of Ukraine, you know, taking over um, Kiev and, or taking over Lviv. I'm probably mispronouncing those, but um, I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, if, you, if they take away those uh, and also Odessa, you know, I don't know that uh, Putin wants in particular those parts. He wants enough of the Ukraine where he can make his pipelines and have his gas pipelines under his total control. That's what he really wants. And if he can get at least that, then I think that he'll be satisfied with that. Although there are signs that he may not be satisfied, I think what his calculus is that he will try and take over the entire country if he can. But if he can't, he'll just settle for the two breakaway republics or breakaway states in the east and he'll call the war. And that's almost the best case scenario that I can see for Ukraine staying as a country. Um, They could kick him out, who knows, but um, we'll see. And of course, there's protests, anti-war protests popping up all over Europe and even in Russia. I know I heard recently that 3,000 peace protesters were arrested in Russia. So I guess that says something. If 3,000 were arrested, how how many were actually in the streets? And so that's a thing, and that's something we can look to. I don't think um, really Putin's going to be too impressed with uh, protests in Amsterdam. Sorry you know, or in, you know, anywhere, you know, in Berlin or, you know, it's nice to see those, but I don't think he's impressed. I think the only peace protesters he's worried about are the ones in his own country. And uh so he's going to handle those. And, of course, you know, not to be outdone by Justin Trudeau, I think we can expect a lot harsher treatment even than the truckers had at the hands of Trudeau and those who supported the truckers. (coughs) At the, um, you know, who supported the truckers with the trucker protests in Canada. And so I guess everything comes back to Justin Trudeau and Canada. And so there you have it. War in Ukraine. Um probably best bet for us best strategy for us going forward is to increase our own domestic oil production probably not going to happen probably because um well you can see the short side nature um they have other goals other than obviously um the freedom of ukrainian you know they they want their own to please their own green wing of the democrat party and so Uh, if more Ukrainians have to die to, to, uh, appease the far left of the Democratic Party, then so be it. Uh, we won't, uh, produce any more oil or gas and we won't do probably the best thing that we can to, um, defund, uh, Putin's war over there. But anyway, and also, um... You know, warfare, you know, uh, democracy, voting is a proxy for war. Um, but it also works the other You know, let's not forget when there's no democracy, you know, we're left with, unfortunately, with war in many cases. And so that's what we have now. And so if you want to win this election, you know, a.k.a. war, you know, you have to have more votes, and if you want to have more votes, well, then, you know, they're going to have to come from outside the country, and so, I guess you get my mixed metaphor there, hopefully, so, and also, again, it's going to, um, turn into a refugee situation very soon, and we're going to to deal with that, so, uh, My suggestion is donate to the International Red Cross, Uh, maybe even volunteer if you're in the Red Cross or you want to do that. You know, maybe you can volunteer, and I'm sure there'll be other probably Christian organizations in particular that will come to help out and aid the Ukrainian refugees. So hopefully, that's something that will I'm sure will become a thing in the next few days, if not weeks. And so stay tuned for that look for Libertyrelearn.com that's probably where you'll find that also Liberty relearned on Facebook and, uh, LR podcast on getter and me JP Mac on uh, parlor and so uh, if anything good comes up any good information around the charities that will inevitably pop up to aid Ukrainians. Um, I'll try and get that out, that information out on, uh, the various, um, social media outlets on that. But yeah, that's something that's the next thing we are going to have to worry about is the humanitarian crisis that's going to happen. So thank you for listening and stay healthy, happy, and free. Um, particularly if you live in that part of the world that's, uh, having to fight for real for that freedom so god bless and god speed to those people and thank you for listening and i appreciate your um attention um last week's podcast was pretty popular but even more popular was what i wrote online basically the written version of the podcast or or at least my talking points from that so thank you that was real popular Again, go to libertyrelearn.com and find out more about what Justin Trudeau did. Thanks. Bye.